This is episode 130 of How to Human. And this episode, I'm going to talk about the coronavirus response and how we look at it differently politically, at least in the United States, between the left and the right. We have these very different views, and it's partly tribal, but it's also based on ideology. And because we're so partisan, there are these extreme reactions. I'm going to talk about where it comes from and what it looks like. And I don't think there's anything we can do about it. I think it just is what it is because we're so far apart. But let's dissect it. A friend of mine talked about World War II, or rather pre-World War II, what it was like in France. And it felt like everybody was either a communist or a fascist. You had to choose between those two sides. And kind of in that spot now where things are so polarized and you have to choose and it I've done podcasts on this before particularly episode 113 where I talked about the emotionality of the fringes and the fringes become really loud because they're so emotional and the messaging of those fringes drives the bus because emotions are so much louder than logic and a point I made, it's an opinion really, I've never heard anybody say this, but the reason that the center is logical, or at least more so, and the fringes are more emotional, is that because it's logical to compromise, and you compromise when your opinions are, cl- opinions are closer together, therefore it just sort of makes sense to not be as, when you're more emotional, you're more convicted. And so compromise isn't on your radar. But if you're willing to give a little, it implies that you're thinking longer term and not with your heart and more with your head. So the left side of this political spectrum, we, which is generally the liberal side and also the collectivist side, is mostly empathy driven. And we find it mostly in cities If we look at the county by county electoral map in 2016, for example, it's easy to point out where all the cities are because they're all the blue ones, even in really red states. If we look at Illinois as an example, Chicago is deep, deep blue, and the rest of it is pretty much red. Same for New York. New York City is blue. In Pennsylvania, Erie, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia are all blue, and the rest is red. And that's important. There's a reason that cities are blue. And it's because empathy is required to live in a city because you live so close together and you see all the suffering. And because you're so close together, it's more important to work together as a team in order to build a society. The opposite, of course, is living far apart. And then there's less interaction with other people. And so you don't need to think about other people's experiences as much. In cities, there's more creative and knowledge work. And this is something Jordan Peterson talked about, that more more liberal people are generally more open. They have a trait called openness in the big five, meaning they are more curious and interested in new things. And it just is a cycle that happens. Are you open first or are you liberal first? Are you liberal because you're open or open because you're liberal? It just is. And mostly, 
the cities are also minority heavy because generally it's a more empathetic place and because it's more a more empathetic place minorities are going to go there because people are more interested in their experience and it just shakes out that way and that's another point is that it's self-selecting if you're liberal and you live in rural texas and you find rural texas is very conservative you're going to move to a city and that starts to drain liberal people leave conservative places and move to cities therefore cities become more liberal and it isn't you know one for one there can be conservatives who live in cities but it's a pretty obvious trend or pattern that we see that most cities have a liberal ideology within them and why is this important because cities are treating coronavirus differently than are the suburbs and i think about this specifically as i am flying to texas tomorrow and meanwhile washington dc is starting its own shutdown new york city has been shutting down seattle I mean, one, of course, people live closer together, therefore they're more likely to transmit the virus, but also, and I'll get into this in a second, if you're empathy-driven, if you're emotion-driven, so both of those things are true on the left, there's greater empathy and greater emotion, fear is going to drive the bus a bit. Fear of what is going to happen to other people, fear of what's going to happen to yourself, understanding of other people's worries, those things all fit together and they fit together in a liberal environment and those environments are the cities and therefore the cities are reacting differently than the suburbs and it's also ideology driven which I'll get into in a second but the the right side of the political spectrum the conservatives they're more logical and that's not to say that the left isn't logical that's just to say what's at the top well in the if you're making a decision we're all logic and we're all empathy or we're all logic and we're all emotion and there's a portion of every decision that's going to come from emotion and a portion of every decision that's going to come from logic and generally the conservatives are less driven by emotion and they are individualist and they are into tried and true solutions. As opposed to being open, like the liberals, curiosity, new things, conservatives are generally about the way things have been done in the past and the way that is already known to work and it's expected that we wanna keep, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, generally. And we see this more in rural areas because there's more open space and there's more of an expectation for self-sufficiency in the idea that people around you aren't gonna help you. And it can also be culturally created. There are different pockets of culture in this country that are hundreds of years old. I thought this was fascinating that New York City has this unique culture that exists nowhere else. And that's because it used to be New Amsterdam and there was this trading outpost and it had its own culture there. 
because it was this giant melting pot, duh, of all these different people who just wanted to make money and came together and lived in peace so long as you were, could make it work financially. And this, if you don't want to read a book called American Nations, I didn't, but there's a phenomenal podcast called Personality Hacker and on episodes 252 and 253, they covered that book. Excellent podcast overall and those two episodes in particular. There's also a biological reason for people to be conservative or rightward leaning. It is just logic before emotion, their decision-making stack. And I talked about this a bit in episode 123, which is, would you kill 10 people to save a thousand? And the rural areas are more conservative for the same reason liberal areas, the cities are more liberal. It's self-selecting. Well, sort of. Usually, what we what they talk about is a brain drain from the rural areas because generally the blue collar work is in the rural areas and the white collar work is in the cities. And also creativity is strongly aligned with openness, which is strongly aligned with liberalism. And therefore people leave the rural areas to go to the cities. So it's not that necessarily that conservative people go out to the rural areas, but what happens is the liberal people leave the conservative areas because they are seeking more profitable work or culture that works for them or the white collar and or creative jobs that exist only in the cities or mostly in the cities. So what was my point there is that cities are more liberal and rural areas are more conservative. And when we look at that, we, from an ideology perspective, the empathy-driven ideas are going to be caring about people and thinking about other people's perspectives. Because this is really a disease driven by, I think it's a lot like the that it's a lot like vaccines in terms of herd immunity we want to make sure fewer people are infected so that the really vulnerable don't get infected so the more of an idea that you have about caring about the vulnerable or not spreading it or the idea that the collective matters and you don't want to hurt the collective with your actions you're less likely to expose yourself or want to be exposed or generally be more concerned with it. And that's why I think this bears out that cities are being much more active about taking proactive measures, preventative measures. And it would also make sense, of course, because the cities are human, mm, human, geez, what's the word for this? A whole bunch of people living on top of each other. So people taking public transportation, large workplaces, um, much more restaurants that just are more packed and crowded. I've been to small towns. Things are just at a slower pace and you just don't see as many people around. You just don't. 
And that's fine. It's just different. It's its own way. It's its own kind of great. They're both great. They're just different. And because they're different in that way, people are going to be more concerned about the coronavirus. And that's that. And there's more to it, though. There is also a reaction and a reaction to the president. There are people, he's quite polarizing and he forces further polarization. And well, this is just about polarization in general because people are siding with their own. This, is, this isn't groupthink per se. This is people who hate the other side so much that they will stick to their own ideas just to stick it to the other guy. And I think this is probably, so where do I fall on this? I think that from an article I just read, Italy didn't react fast enough. And now Italy's on a complete lockdown and totally regrets not acting fast enough. And so I think we're not acting. It We run the risk of the same thing in areas where we're not being fast acting enough. And the liberal areas are doing that. And the conservative areas are not. Because of partisanship, there are a bunch of people downplaying the seriousness of this. And I mean, they're blaming the other side, right? So to be specific, the conservatives are blaming the liberals for making a big deal out of this when it's not necessary. And that's based on tribalism and partisanship. And that's really unfortunate for public health. So, I mean, there's another side to that, which is that are the liberals in this case who live in the cities, which where I live and things are starting to shut down, are they being too emotion driven and too fearful? It doesn't seem so. It really doesn't. Like I don't, I'd like to take a, a side on this that's neutral. I like to do that and say, you know, there's a, an angle to both sides. I don't think that's true. I think this is a pandemic. And what do I know about pandemics? I'm 0% scientist, but I trust scientists. I trust that Italy totally regrets the way they handled this. And that we're going to regret handling it this way too. So back to where I was going. Oh, I want to discuss part of how the conservatives can, even despite partisanship, reject the ideas from experts because people don't know things. They don't. And on a level, we all trust experts because they are, because we're specialized. There are things that we're good at and things that we're not. And we need to rely on others who have specialized skills. If I didn't have people to kill my food for me and package it, I would be in a tremendous amount of trouble. And I will generally trust the people who, well, this is a hard comment because factory farming is a whole different thing, but, uh, if there are threats to the food supply, I'm going to trust the people who know about the food supply to 
tell me what I should be worried about. And so public health experts telling me what I should be worried about, I'm going to listen. But at least on the right, there's been a distrust of experts that's been that's going on for a while. And that's hard. That's hard to put a pin on. It comes from a couple different things. I'd argue that the anti-intellectualism on the right comes from, among other things, lobbying for business. So I'd say the right was the was definitely later to catch on anti-smoking legislation, like putting labeling on cigarettes and then holding tobacco companies accountable and having the Surgeon General say stuff out loud. Like they were against that because there were lobbying efforts to keep that from happening. And where does that come from? That comes from one, the liberal and left would be more the more empathetic side and generally caring more about the people and reactions and public happiness. And the logic side, the conservative side, would be more about protecting, not having a heavy hand in terms of laws, in terms of codification of how people should behave. And there's always a balance there. I mean, we can't codify everything, but when the codification also has, or when the ability to execute laws has a hand from political donations to make people think and behave ways other than how they should. So I don't think anybody thinks that smoking shouldn't be regulated. Where did I hear this in a recent podcast? There was a discussion about whether or not video games should be regulated for children and the video game companies don't want that to happen. They don't want any laws other than things that they put on packaging, like they're, this is for mature audiences or 13 year olds or whatever it may be. They don't want the government to force them to do anything or the government to come in and enforce any kind of legislation about this. And in the same way, the tobacco companies did not want any legislation about who could buy tobacco for example, that it was restricted to 18, and now in many places restricted to 21. But of course, tobacco companies didn't want that. And so for that example, the tobacco companies didn't want that, and they had to find sympathetic ears in Congress to make sure that, that those laws didn't pass. And those laws should exist, right? I don't think anybody disagrees with that. And the resistance to that comes from a rejection of the idea that it's a good idea, but how can you reject that idea if it's a good idea? Well, you reject the science of it. And it was, I've heard, in the same way that people reject climate science, the saying, we're not sure yet, there's not enough data in, that tobacco companies also use that idea to say, smoking doesn't cause cancer or isn't addictive. We don't have enough data to make a conclusion yet. Which, you know, I mean, who, 
when's there enough data? I don't know. Look, sometimes there isn't enough data, right? Do cell phones cause cancer? I hope not. I really do. I hope not. Um, I I wish there was... It's hard to believe that there isn't... I know there are people that say it. I know there are, absolutely. Um, but there's not enough scientific evidence. And maybe we'll look back in 30 years and look at cell phone manufacturers and say, you knew, you totally knew. I'm not saying they know. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying, I hope, I hope they don't cause cancer. Anyway, I'm a little bit off topic. So when you have a party that is looking to uses freedom and individual individualism as a guiding principle. And when you use individualism as a guiding principle, that means that you are less likely to pass laws that will compromise one's individuality, one's, individual, one's ability to make one's own choices. It restricts free will to make laws on people. And look, that, I mean, of course laws should exist. Of course they should. And, but it's a party that is, can hold that line, a line that doesn't need to be held. And if you're willing to hold that line and people are willing to tell you how to hold that line, well, sometimes they can hold that line to keep you from seeing science and to listen, from listening to experts because experts will say, you should put laws in place to protect people. And if the left cares about protecting people, and the right cares about protecting individuality via not enacting laws, well, the people's influence will be the people who don't want to put new laws in place. And so that's why the right has a bunch of anti-science ideas floating around in it. And there's a, a push to have those ideas exist in the public consciousness in the conservative uh, sphere of ideas. And so, of course, right, got to start with global warming. And obviously, that has a political agenda behind it. The businesses that pollute and don't want to, the, the fossil fuel companies primarily, don't want to take accountability for changing or don't want to lose profits. and. Of course, that's super gross. It's super gross to kill this planet for profits. That's ridiculous. I talked about that in episode 111. Can, roughly, can capitalism save the environment? I think it was, can capitalism save the world? The answer is no, it's not. But you have to listen to episode 111 to hear that. And... Also, oh, I have my list. Um, oh, well, I wanted to say that some of the reasons that the conservatives would distrust experts, because they also disagree with the old ways of doing things. Sometimes change is scary. It is, it's alarming to make big giant changes, and some people aren't ready for it. And so we see that a lot with diversity. It is upsetting to see large cultural changes 
and that's why a lot of conservatives are more resistant to immigration. I'm not taking a position on it. I'm just saying there are people who are resistant to immigration and they are conservative. Does that make them racist? I am not having that conversation that is more complex in the simplicity of calling them racist. Um, oh, they're definitely anti-evolution, which is ridiculous. That By that I mean conservatives. And that's driven also politically to have such a giant religious base. And the religious base is part of the individualism party because the idea is that you can worship how you want and not be told what is right. So it's, it's more about, I mean, if we take it a little bit further, it's, it's a ton about abortion, frankly that the idea that you are forced to have a policy in your own backyard that you don't like takes away from individualism. And so if you are religious and you want your backyard to align more with your religiousness, religiosity, then you are going to be for, more, for a more individualistic perspective. And one of those individualistic perspectives one of those religious ideas is a denial of evolution, which is nuts. Um, I mean, that's not fair. You can believe what you want to believe. I respect your ability to deny reality. You can do what you want. And that's it. I mean, I, I don't know. People can do what they want. There's a rejection of experts on foreign policy changes. We have ideas about, so as an example, one of the thoughts is, this is a conservative idea to punish countries that have migrants coming here and by cutting off their funding, but it's just gonna make them more desperate and more likely to come here but it it seems like a it seems like a conservative way to do things sort of a it is it is less empathetic it is a way to it's kind of strong arming which is part of individualism because individualism is a more competitive frame it is you and i are competing to be the best and it's this way of seeing other people as mm, just competitors and not willing to have a togetherness to it. And so experts say that, as using the example I just gave, and let, I mean, let's be specific. I don't know why I sometimes, I'm sometimes so vague in this podcast. I don't know. I want to not talk about specific political instances, but I have to, I think. I'm still, for those who can't tell, I'm still trying to work out my style. And anyway, so I'm talking about Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and these desperate countries and who have people coming here by the thousands and they're desperate and sometimes caring about people and propping up people who are in pain 
instead of blaming them for their pain is the better way on the long term to handle it. I mean, it, emotions do matter. The human experience is about emotion and we're humans and we care about not just the logic of preventing immigration that isn't coming at the pace we want, but what's we can't exclude ways because they don't fit in with our paradigm. And there's, if we are ideologically driven, and that's part of the problem partisanship is that we're ideologically driven and don't think practically about how things can be solved, then we're running around using either A, old ideas or bad ideas, or we don't listen to experts who disagree with us and we have groupthink and we just, the larger point of all this is we don't listen to experts. And, oh geez, here's one. Uh, there are a lot of areas in this country that still do abstinence only education. Are you crazy? This is nuts. This one I cannot respect. I can't respect global warming denial. I, evolution, foreign policy, the way I just discussed them, you do you. I mean, you get to make bad decisions, but you can't make dumb decisions. Uh, it's tough, right? And I, I, geez, I don't want to kill people on this podcast, but no, absence only education is ridiculous. I understand the need for, on a religious level, to teach no sex before marriage. But you also have to deal with the reality of the environment in which you live. And this is definitely about ideology versus practicality. It is an ideology to not teach uh, safe sex in schools where there is sex happening 100%. It is obvious that, particularly as we go down the socioeconomic ladder, there are more teen pregnancies. And teen pregnant, every teen pregnancy, all right, two answers, right? Every teen pregnancy is a travesty until a baby's born, and then it's a blessing. Sure. And we should be doing our best to prevent that and we don't with absence only education we handicap our people and then it leads to a life of further poverty and then if you're in poverty if you're low down the socioeconomic ladder you're more likely to have children as a teenager which locks you into more poverty it is i just there's no logic in that that is well, that's really cultural, honestly. So I was referencing the American Nations book. And what I'm really killing here is the South, the religious South, the, I guess, the Bible Belt. And it is, I don't know, it's, it's just religiousness, religiosity into the public schools, into this public consciousness down there. And they don't want to change. That's the conservativeness of it. It's the structures that already exist, and why would we change? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, what if it's broke? Well, they don't realize it because it's a cultural construct that they think is sacrosanct. 
So there will be no changes. Certainly, they have rejection of stem cell research, even if it's, I, I think even if it's not included in abortions, I think they're anti-stem cell research. I don't know why I think they think it's a slippery slope to abortions, I think, um, or maybe, I think it's definitely religious. Dave Espen, why don't you know the point that you're making? Because it doesn't make any sense to me, but I know that they're against it. I know that the American right is against stem cell research, which is widely considered to be a very beneficial idea. And it is just an anti-expert, anti-science idea. And so all this comes together to be the American political right disrespecting of experts in science because they've been doing it for so long. And they do it for generally ideological reasons or political reasons and sometimes lobbying reasons, ways in which a policy should exist and everybody knows it, but then lobbyists come in and say, hmm, you could make a law here, maybe, maybe you won't because we're gonna lobby you and we're gonna pay for your you know, next campaign and it will adjust what you think and we'll also do a bunch of advertising that will make people think what we think and sacrifice people's happiness for profits. I mean, look, so I just killed the right for this, right? The left isn't exempt from this either. It is, this is more ideology than practicality. The left has all, as far as I know, the deniers of vaccines, those that think that it causes autism. That's a problem, definitely a problem. They have a lot of denial of the basis of gender differences, denial of gender differences, because it makes people feel bad. And if you're empathy driven, you don't wanna make people feel bad. And this leads to a lot of, hmm, a lot of confusion around who people are and how they're different. And it makes a lot of people crazy when we see obvious differences and we're told that we're wrong for seeing them or pointing them out and we have to believe something that's not true. That men and women are different, by the way. Dave Espen, liberals don't say men and women are the same. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And this is more pervasive in higher education. And by that, I mean college. And it's increasing. And if we look at the fringe, it's more pervasive in the fringes, right? The people who are more convicted are the more emotional ones. And it's the most emotional ones who are the loudest. And generally, at this moment in time are coming into leadership because I've said this before, people are, well, one, if we look at the distribution curve of political ideologies, the mean, which is where most people should live and has the tallest part of the distribution curve, that's flatter, shorter, and the fringes are taller. So there's a different distribution and 
people are on some level, I've heard this theory and I think it's right, sick of the center not making meaningful change and therefore people are looking to the fringes to make changes. And on the fringes of the left are a denial of gender differences and right and I'm not this has nothing to do with trans this has very I don't think it's anything to do with gender fluidity or obviously nothing to do with gay this is just about men and women they are different in a number of different ways and it's real but we won't, aren't allowed to talk about it or study it and if we do we are sexist or misogynist and separate story because it, it, it affects a bunch of social policy as well when we're not allowed to see these things the social policy that could come from that the way that we see things and talk about things these are altered by what we're allowed to say and what we're not allowed to say by the denial of gender differences because it's considered ugly because it hurts people's feelings because it's driven by people who are super convicted emotionally on the left that they believe so strongly that there are any gender difference expressed is generally the a tool of the patriarchy, which is a whole separate complicated topic. Dave Messman, are you saying you don't believe in the patriarchy? I'm saying it's complicated. I'm saying there's a really simplistic idea floating around that men are eternal oppressors of women and it's not that easy. I don't love this example. By the way, I'm going to my next example. It, when I looked for examples of anti-science on the left, vaccines was one, denial of gender differences or evolutionary biology was another, and there were two other examples, nuclear power and GMOs. They're all right as examples. I wish I had something better. Because the right is... I do... I read several articles that said, the right's anti-science, well, what about the left? Well, yeah, yeah, there's some on the left as well. Um, oh, I wish I could remember the stories. There was a professor from Portland State, I believe, who submitted a bunch of postmodernist articles. Oh, what did he do? Oh, I can't remember it, so I can't state it. But he submitted a bunch of articles to boards to have them published and they did publish them but he wrote a bunch of nonsense um one was mm, roughly i think it was either sexism or the patriarchy in use at dog parks and by dogs like it was something ridiculous like like that like there are other things and he took the communist manifesto and i think he I can't do it. I can't do it. I wish I could. Dave Messman, you shouldn't have started down this road if you couldn't finish the story. I thought I could. Sometimes I make mistakes. Dave Messman, you make a lot of mistakes. Thank you. Nuclear power and GMOs. Sure, there. Yeah, I mean, there are problems with nuclear power. Part of the idea is that, at least if you're looking at it from somebody who's criticizing the idea that nuclear power is objected to by the left, is that it is clean sort of but the real issue is people are worried about uh, a meltdown and which have existed 
and those are horrific if you're if you are worried about people if you're worried about money and the system right so individualism and logic are cold they care about a to b how do we get things done and emotion and the left and liberals are care care more about people it's warm it's about let's to the extent we can let's think about happiness as one of our primary goals and for that reason nuclear power and its potential tremendous unbelievable downside what did i hear about the other day someone who lived in germany during chernobyl in 1986 and had a cancer return the theory that was conveyed to me dave Essman, you can't prove this that you're hearing this third hand correct that the cancer was tied to the chernobyl meltdown i can either confirm nor deny that dave Messman, don't spread rumors all right i take back what i just said um that's a rumor so the left does have its own anti-science ideas i think it's i think it's more anti-science sometimes when it hurts feelings and the left the right is more anti-expert which is probably well i mean what's the difference right if you're denying gender differences you're also anti-expert who would say that there are gender differences because you shout down that person so that's anti-expert and you there are everybody says vaccines don't cause autism and so if you say you don't if you're anti-vaccine then you're also anti-expert there not that all liberals are anti-vaccine it's a really small subset i guess i mean it, well i mean it's I think hundreds of thousands of people, which is insane. Um, and the number who deny gender differences, I mean, that's millions. That's every postmodernist in college today. Separate, I'm way off topic. What is my point? My point is that the right is more anti-expert. And so it's easy for them and they live in more rural areas where people are less close together and there is a tribalism in this country where you're either with the president or against the president and if you are one of those two things you are vociferously so it is rabid and you hate him if you hate him and it generally falls along political ideology lines you're just gonna fall in line with agreeing with what he says if you're conservative or hating what he says if you're liberal and it also falls in line that you're already anti-expert if you're on the right and you also live in a rural area without many people around you so that it is less on your radar whether or not people around you get sick or infected and if you're on the left right you've already got your tribal identity that you hate the president and his concepts and how he's handling it and how he's dismantled many of the public health mm, safeguards we have in place which is its own thing i'm not trying to get political i think that is a fact 
and you're also more concerned empathetically for the people around you and you it just doesn't fit in your anti-expert box because this doesn't hurt feelings so you're fine with this science the left hates science that hurts feelings how does I mean, I guess you can hurt feelings in any way. So nuclear power hurts feelings because you're worried about the potential nuclear fallout. Okay, got it. GMOs, hmm, how does that hurt people? I didn't really bring that up, but that's one of the things that people are, I guess they're worried about the public health. I mean, I, I think people are scared about things they don't understand or worried that corporations are gonna put profit over health and are gonna put unsafe things out. I'd say that's probably the big problem with GMOs on the liberal side. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they need to see it safe or need it proven further or don't trust companies and there's a reason they don't, but it's also hard to paint with a broad brush. I, I don't know. I, it's clearly about people's feelings. I mean, people feel that GMOs are scary and or weird and or different, and therefore they don't want it. It's, but most, I understand, this is my understanding. Dave Essman, you can't speak for this because you haven't studied it, kind of. I mean, let's not pretend that there are things that are mostly true. I mean, global warming isn't like a fact fact but it, if we we always say like 97% or maybe it's 99.7% of scientists agree so yeah it's a fact i'm i'm saying it's a fact i'm saying if something's 97% true i treat it like it's 100 at some point as we get asymptotically closer to 100% or 0% like at a certain point you have to treat it as something that's true and it's my understanding gmos are mostly safe and the fact that people feel they're not safe makes it an empathy concern and therefore politicians on the empathy side of the spectrum will listen to the empathetic want for GMOs to not exist or be or be forced to be labeled as such or not be in use in American grocery market, grocery stores. Then all gender differences of course is empathy driven because defining genders makes people feel bad. Vaccines, I think that's just really, I don't know. I think that's just a, a narrative that's just passed down and spreads like wildfire because people, I think when you're really emotional and then people tell you a really emotional story, you're more likely to believe it because that it, there are no facts behind this. Well, there, people think there are facts and they state it emotionally. People hate seeing children suffer. When we see people suffer, that's bad. When we see animals suffer, that's worse. When we see children suffer, particularly babies, that's the worst in terms of what drives people emotionally. So maybe that's it. Oh my God, you're hurting the children. Well, all right, we can't do that. So I think that would be an emotional trigger for people. So wrapping all this up, this has been a, a weird ride. Because of tribalism and the partisanship that's part of that, with the loud fringes who will say anything to disagree with their opponents, facts become a casualty there. 
because you're prioritizing your hatred over reality. I think that's probably what we're looking at here. If we're looking at what seems to be a reasonable response, which is treating this like a pandemic, which Italy now regrets they didn't do. And that's the sad part. I don't know how China, I mean, I, I think China actually rolled with it eventually. And like they contained it. And Italy, I don't think did from what I've read and understand. They treated it like the flu and it's not. And for that reason, the fact that it's not the flu, and I don't know if they had a political uh, reason to not treat it that way, or they were just blase about it, but that actually would be something interesting. That would be the best one. That would have been a good research piece of research for you to do before your podcast. It would. Thank you, dear listener. And um, the problem is that when we are driven by, and see, the right may be the more logical side, right? In that they're less driven by emotion. They still, everybody has emotion when they make decisions. They're just less emotionally driven. It's not, not as high in their decision-making hierarchy, logic is generally higher than emotion. And for that reason, but emotion is still part of it. And the emotional want to deny these facts is the fringes wanting to tie themselves so tight on a partisan level to where the president is on this, that they are foregoing what seems like the right conclusion or the facts that go with it. Dave Esman, so few people are infected. That's how it starts. Look, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't think so. Italy's the test case. And the experts have an opinion. I've heard it. Close stuff. Don't tell people not to be around each other. And like as an individual, your like your individual actions won't be necessarily a big deal. You'll probably be safe, but probably. And if we all think that way, it leads us to behavior that isn't good for the collective. Because you're one person, but you're one of a hundred thousand. If a hundred thousand people think this way, they're going to go around about their own behavior and do things their way. And so. It's about the greater collective consciousness and how we can insert that idea into people. It's like voting or recycling. One vote doesn't mean anything, but if the idea of voting exists in a city of one million and there's a, a collective consciousness there that this is the right thing to do. And if it's the right thing to do, maybe you'll get, you know, this is America. We don't get that much turnout. 40, mm, how many you get? 120 million? All right, let's just say 50% turnout if that's in the collective consciousness. And then if we tell people, you know, your vote doesn't really matter. Well, guess what? We're going to get 20% turnout. It's like young people. They don't vote and because they think their vote doesn't matter. And so when people think things don't matter, the herd 
is going to hear a message and react based on the message they hear. And so as we tell people your actions matter, they're more likely to listen. And so as an individual, you can do whatever you want. But as we deliver messages, a larger percentage of the herd is going to react. That's what we're talking about. Recycling is the same way. One Coke can in the recycle bin doesn't matter. But if 10 million people recycle, well, that's 10 million Coke cans per day. Because we drink a lot of soda in this country. And, well, actually, I would probably, I how many Cokes are dr drunk in a day? I don't know if that's the right tense of that verb. I'm going to guess cans. All right, just cans. This means mostly people drinking at home. I'm going to guess 34.3 million. I think that's about right. It's a lot of Coke. What about Pepsi? I think people drink Pepsi, not as much as Coke. Dave Messman, this is totally off topic. You are correct. And I've, I've discussed most of it. So where, where do I land on all of this? I'm sad. I'm sad that our own, I think I mostly put this on, I, I put all of this on tribalism. I really do. Uh, the fact that we are sticking with ideas that don't serve us because it's politically expedient, because we belong to a tribe, whether it be with, well, in this case, I'm blaming the right, because we're with the president or because we've been anti-expert in the past or because we have an ideology that favors the individual over the collective. These things are all bad and people are going to hurt for this. People are going to die for this. And it shouldn't be that way. And people are selfish. And Dave Messman, what are your plans? It's a good question. Dave Messman, you're going to Texas tomorrow. I am. I'm going to go for a short trip to Texas where nobody cares. And then I'm going to, because most of DC is going to close. And that's the point, right? is that, this is the point of an article I just read, if your employer doesn't do this, you should self-quarantine to, as a means of helping the herd. Nobody has that option, really. People have to work, people have to get paid, so that's what's hard. So employers should be doing this voluntarily, which is what's happening in DC and other liberal areas, and that's the point, right, is that in liberal areas, people are more empathetic and therefore taking faster action and what is my point there? I'm not sure. No, oh, the question was, what is Dave Messman going to do? Dave Messman's going to self-quarantine and encourage his company to do so. And it's what everybody should be doing because this is a pandemic and we should treat it like one. And if we don't, more people are going to die. Dave Essman, I'm not causing anybody's direct death. It's that really complicated thing. I, I'm going to start talking about the about climate change this way. Is that we're so busy to point the finger at everybody else who's not doing something, but 
we are all part of this problem. Our demand for resources is incalculably small in the whole, but it matters. So every, right, I'm gonna go flush a toilet, I've got lights, I've got central air and heat, you know, I've got a microwave, got an oven. I use resources. Everybody uses resources. And as a whole, we're all using resources and we contribute to this problem together by our need for resources. So as an individual, you may not contribute to coronavirus spreading, but you're part of a herd that all contributes as a whole to the giant pie of people that are behaving a certain way. And that pie is a weird word, but we are, all of us, like I talked about earlier, if our public consciousness is right, public consciousness is right. Fewer people are gonna be on the streets, fewer people are gonna be infecting each other, and fewer people are gonna get sick and fewer people are gonna die and the pandemic ends sooner. And ironically, the thing that we're all scared of, which is an economic downturn, is more likely to be caused by an extended pandemic, which is on its way because people don't listen. And this is hard, right? I, Dave Essman, you're not a public health expert. I know, I'm listening to public health experts. Dave Essman, cancel your trip, I'm going. So I will, then I will self-quarantine. So this was a long podcast. So, but it's the end of it. So if you have comments or death threats, please send those to howtohumancdt at gmail.com. howtohumancdt at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, give it five stars on iTunes. If you hated this podcast, give it five stars on iTunes. Tell at least seven friends if you have fewer than seven friends, tell all of them and tell your parents. If your parents have passed, then don't tell them. Like um, put a note at their grave. Dave Espen, that was very dark. I know, but somebody else will find it and say, tell them to listen to How to Human. And that's it for this episode.